the new Florida education standards unanimous. What we continue to say is that the good, the bad, and the ugly in American history. The uproar immediate. How is it that anyone could suggest that there was any benefit to being subjected to this level of dehumanization? Florida's new African-American history curriculum, complete and detailed or complete whitewash? Come home, Ron, where you belong. Get those insurance rates way down. What a week for the Florida Man candidates. An indictment, a campaign reset, and a raffle for donations. But we haven't even gotten to the first debates yet. The whole idea of legislation uh, to, to legalize same-sex marriage, I think they still have a long way to go. Jamaica declines credentials to a U.S. diplomat's same-sex spouse. Our culture does not, is not really accepting of it. The U.S. declines to extend Jamaican diplomats' stay. South Florida's Caribbean community watching closely. It is too damn hot. Extreme heat advisory. <laughs> so much at stake in South Florida. Outdoor workers are up to 35 times more likely to end up in the emergency department. The big news of the week and the return of the roundtable, all live this week in South Florida. Good Sunday morning. I'm Glenna Milberg. As we come on the air today, the backlash against and the defense of Florida's new standards for African-American history curriculum has gone nationwide. The Board of Education signed off this week on new lesson plans months in the making specifically to align classroom instruction with the new state laws that reframe how to teach about race and about sex and gender identity as well. Critics are slamming that curriculum for avoiding horrific and painful experiences of enslaved people. And in one particular line that has headlined much of the outcry seems to suggest that learning new labor skills was a benefit to them. That is listed in the middle school section. Quoting here, instruction includes how slaves developed skills, which in some instances could be applied for their personal benefit, unquote. The outrage exploded nationally, fueled by the political divide marking Florida's year of culture war climate. Vice President Kamala Harris in Jacksonville this week unleashed. Just yesterday in the state of Florida, they decided middle school students will be taught that enslaved people benefited from slavery. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us, and we will not stand for it. Governor Ron DeSantis in full defense of the new standards as thorough and factual. Education Commissioner Manny Diaz called it comprehensive and complete, the good, the bad, and the ugly of African-American history. And what we should be striving to do is provide our students with all of this information and let them formulate their own opinions. That is what true learning is. And I know when the bill was passed, there were a lot of comments about what can be taught could not be taught. I think that these standards, anybody who wants to look at them, can clearly see that it answers that question. That is a in-depth coverage of African-American history. At that, at that board meeting, the department's chancellor for K-12 public schools, who is an African-American man, presented the work of the task force he led that wrote the new standards and backhanded critics, including teachers unions and the media. 
there were questions, there were trepidation. People weren't sure, are we really going to be able to write African American history standards? And our teams made it very clear that, as the commissioner said, we had to write factual, objective African American history standards. Uh, the commissioner said it, it covers the good, the bad, the ugly. We want to provide all of the information uh, to our students. So for the folks in the media and in the teachers union who, ha who are watching, uh, we want you to please play close attention uh, because you've been peddling really a false narrative. We invited the Education Commissioner to join us today, and we invited the one African-American member of Florida's Board of Education that approved the standards this week unanimously. Neither of them responded to those invitations. So today we bring back the This Week in South Florida Roundtable, the insightful, diverse voices of South Florida right here at the table. Mark Caputo is national political reporter at The Messenger, a new nationwide publication. Nancy Ankrum is the veteran editorial page editor at the Miami Herald. Stephen Hunter Johnson is an attorney, a partner at Lidecker, and a member of 100 Black Men of South Florida and the Miami-Dade Black Fairs Advisory Board. Ed Pozzuoli has chaired Broward's Republican Party and is CEO of the Trip Scott Law Firm. Great to have you. Great to have you back. I've missed you so much. Wonderful to be back. Wonderful and, uh, to be and, and what a topic to, to go over right now. <laughs> Couldn't be better. Stephen Johnson, first question goes to you. This, I just want to set this up here, this did not come in a vacuum this week. This was a new law. This was a governor who replaced those, well, not replaced, but appointed the task force members. Mm -hmm. This was something we saw coming is is what you see in those standards what you expected what i expected absolutely because i think i said february 1st of this year that our governor was using attacks on african-american history um, for political purposes and that was racist then it's racist now let me explain the changes that were made were made to add nuance to the idea of slavery as it was experienced in America. It was done in a way that we would never, absolutely never even consider in teaching the Holocaust. Yet, we are approaching slavery as though it was something that we have to both sides. We can't both sides slavery. There's no upside to it. It was inhumane, it was a travesty, it is a blemish on the country. And for anyone to try to show the other side or the benefits or spin it in a positive way, it is an affront not only to the black community, but to all Americans. It, do you, Nancy, do you see it that way? Do you see, it, we're looking at not only a line, but we're looking at the whole standards. It's pretty comprehensive, and I, and I will say there was a lot of concern because of the anti-CRT backlash sure. in Florida that there would not be components that include the, the structural racism mm -hmm. that really still exists in many components of our society, and, and there is some of that there. There is. I'm more concerned by the both-side-ism like of Stephen. it, as Stephen said, which is there were, there were some good benefits for this country. Well, you know, there were economically, but at what cost? And it's that context that cannot get lost. If we're truly talking about American history, straight up American history, um, the attempt to um, soften, to homogenize uh, slavery, is that, is, you, you see that as a, a trying to, it's a sugarcoating. Sure. It's, it's not a Florida thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, Florida is late to the game. If you do some reading and some backgrounding, you find that this is happening in schools across the country mm -hmm. more quietly. Uh, blacks were immigrants. 
Um, these textbooks are out there referring to um, the Civil War as the war between the straight states. You know, that was going to be one of my questions. Ed, mm -hmm. I know you actually have your fingers in the education process in many ways in, your, yeah. in parts of your life. It, what do other states do? I, I don't remember how I learned and when I learned. I really don't. Uh, what do other states do? Is this is this an outlier? There are some states who take the position that it's a war between the states and that's how mm -hmm. it's approached. Um, there are others who take a more, uh, what I would say, a more realistic view that there's no excuse for slavery. I, I agree with Stephen in this respect that there's no excuse but it, and it should be taught uh, in its good and bad and ugly, to quote Commissioner Diaz. The issue really, but the issue on this piece is you took five words out of a 215-page document mm -hmm. and you are now blowing it up. That's not political. I would say it is political, but hang on. The, well, let the, me just answer that sure. and I'll promise I'll get right back to you. Uh, I'm going to say maybe it is political, maybe not, but it's also the way the media works. The, the media... Yeah. echo chamber in many ways takes something and runs with it especially when it's so controversial yeah. and so layered go ahead yeah and and and, and, and where so my question to and i would ask Stephen and nancy particularly but i'd offer it to the group hey where was the outrage when middle school student test scores came out you know five months ago and they were dismal where was the outrage in baltimore when half the students in in high school were five grades below reading level where was the outrage in chicago when a, a substantial number of minority students there were not making the grade where was that where was that getting back to getting back kids into school in COVID that impacted uh, disproportionately minority students. These, the folks who are complaining about this today are the same ones who said, no, let's keep our kids out because they sided with the unions. Okay, in this but Wait, in this case, can in I, this, I, just, I was about to say, because no, that no, was no, a switching. wonderful so goalpost uh, move. <laughs> I, look, listen, listen, listen. All of that whataboutism is great, but let's put all that aside because what about how we teach slavery in America is the topic, it is the issue. And although I feel personally about it because it is my history and my, my family and ancestors' history, it's also American history. It is. And the way that we have approached this, knowing that arguably, without question, slavery in America is America's most horrible and horrendous act, only followed by Jim Crow and the violence thereafter, that we would teach it good, because you said good, bad, and ugly, that we would teach it good is an affront because Florida knows how to teach the Holocaust. In the same 200-page document you mentioned, the new requirement for teaching the Holocaust is it is the single greatest act of anti-Semitism known to the world. No equivocation. How do we equivocate when it comes to slavery? I don't well, think that's I don't think I, I, just wonder, I want to give Mark an opportunity oh, to, it's to okay. weigh in. I'm, I'm kind of annoyed. <laughs> no, I thought yeah. you had, um, you, you posted something I thought was a really interesting comparison about how would, how would people feel if in schools it was taught that Fidel Castro gave free education and free medicine to the population full stop. In, and that's a very interesting In 2016 comparison. when Bernie Sanders was running for president. And old video of him was un unearthed, of him talking about, like, yeah, Castro's bad, but hey, they got free health care and great education on the island. He was savage. And if you mm -hmm. taught that in Miami-Dade schools today, I say this as the father of students in school, as, as well as a husband of a teacher, mm -hmm. uh, there would be people possibly burning the schools down for doing that. So uh, this language on um, the, the potential benefit of slavery to some slaves has not been explained as why it's necessary 
in history class. And that's the problem. You know, nuance is definitely needed here because we're not only talking about enslaved people, we're talking about people. And they indeed, I have a friend who has a wonderful, a wonderful settee that her great-grandfather carved, you know. Is this a skill, though, that he, you know, <laughs> got at Miami Dade? No, it's not. And it's at it's the cost and it's the languaging of that right. sentence. And and I think th those words matter. I want to take a quick break. Um, we're we're going to go rogue a little bit. I don't want to talk about the candidates this week. I want to mm -hmm. continue with this. <laughs> so, okay, we will if we have time. But let's let's take a break. We'll come right back. This is what I love about the roundtable. It never ends. Stay tuned. <laughs> We are back with the roundtable. Just want to wrap up our discussion on this new African American history uh, standards. Ed, you know, there to, to Nancy's point, the, the wording of it. I think everyone who read this for the first time, kind of, you know, w was shocked by the wording of. At very least, you have to admit it's insensitive and kind of galling when you're talking about enslaved people to suggest that there was any benefit to anything. But but also to your point, this is a very comprehensive written kind of standards that has to fit within the framework of the right. law that says no one can feel guilty or feel ashamed. So so I want to hear from you, how important is it to recognize the perception of a significant portion of the population and the fears that this is sugarcoating something for generations to come? Well, I don't know if it's sugarcoating, but I do agree with Nancy that when you, in talking about slavery, we need to be nuanced about mm -hmm. it. I'm not suggesting that we discard the main point of it, it was slavery in, in all its warts and, and horrific uh, impacts. But, but in the meantime, I think we do need to put in place today, in front of classes today, where we don't put a divide between students, white and black, as an example, where we basically, uh, by talking about slavery, we've effectively victimized. The sole thing you come away with is, is the victimization of, of, of African-Americans on one hand and guilt on white students on the other. Do you, do you That's see the that wrong way? approach. Do you see I, it that just, way? Well, I don't see that. I mean, I, I don't think you should feel guilty for something you did not participate in. And I think that a straight telling, and of course a straight telling is going to impo be impossible in classrooms where people have, qu where kids have questions and sure. do want to discuss this. They should be allowed to discuss this fully. Does, does a German American child feel guilty when he hears about the Holocaust? Maybe, maybe not, but no one particularly cares, right? We teach it anyway and we teach it directly. No, that's not true though. That, you wait, can't wait, wait. do certain things we, in Germany anymore. Correct, mm. but I'm talking about here. Here's my issue. In order to spare feelings and not make children feel guilty, we're teaching new lies. So, for instance, in defense of this, um, two members, uh, two members of, of this board, put out a statement that said, "Here's how slaves benefited from slavery," and they named uh, Booker T. Washington, Booker T. Washington, the famed educator, Booker T. Washington, who was nine years old at the end of emancipation, Booker T. Washington, who was illiterate coming out of slavery was their proof that slaves gained valuable skills that they could use. He was an educator. He taught himself how to read afterwards. In addition, I talked to Dr. Marvin Dunn. Dr. Marvin Dunn told me that, because I love this line, that in teaching, instruction includes act, uh, acts of violence perpetrated against and by African Americans, um, but is not limited to, they list a, a bunch of race riots, right? They also list the Okoye massacre. Mm -hmm. Dr. Dunn told me 
but there was no violence committed by any uh, uh, black people in Ocoee. And the idea that now we have to both sides violence when, if we're talking about the Warsaw Uprising, we call that resistance. That's absurd. That's what they've been doing. And the idea that, and I disagree vehemently with both of you, there's no nuance to slavery. It is simple. Hey, slavery was wrong. Now that you've taught slavery is wrong, here are the effects, including but not limited to Jim Crow, oppression, the raising of towns, and the murder and massacre of people. What, what, does, think, the, what does a teacher think? Well, I'm not a teacher. My wife is. You live with one. Uh, I do. Uh, you know, she, she teaches, for instance, that Florida became a U.S. territory to expand the franchise of slavery. She will continue to do that. Uh, a lot of the descriptions that we have had, unfortunately, in the media, and we have amplified the sides of critics of DeSantis, has not been accurate. Teachers are allowed to teach all of the ills and horrors of slavery as long as they're not intentionally trying to make kids feel bad. And guess what? Teachers don't do that. It's actually in the law. It says you can't intentionally try to make kids feel bad. It's not happening. However, what the state has not been able to do, and what, to Ed's point, the politics of this have made problematic, is that these are relatively small wording issues we're talking about with big implications. Why they won't be changed, no one will answer. Why, why we have to say that there was violence committed by, by African Americans leading up to Ocoee, why, do you why don't they just strike and by? No one will answer that it's question. A, it, that, that's a, we're getting into the political realm now. We have the governor who's a very strong force mm -hmm. making those laws who's running for president. No? Well, I mean, I, I want to respond a little bit to what Stephen said. I, I, look, I do think that everything with respect to slavery should be nuanced with the starting place that it was horrific and it was wrong. So let's start with that and then move on to some of the nuanced pieces. There, here's the point. You have today, what's the impact on students? Because that ultimately should be the determination that, that makes this policy go or not go. Because we're not talking about how we feel, it, how the middle schooler is gonna be, you know, how it's delivered to a middle school. You're right, there's, there's no limitation on a teacher in moving forward about how it's presented. The issue here is really simple. We don't want to also diminish, Stephen, the idea that every black who was enslaved was solely a victim. They were victims, absolutely. Right. But on the other hand, what you have is you have, you have people rising above and overcoming their circumstances that allowed them to proceed, honestly, allowed them to grow as well, people. Well, why don't the standards just say something well, like and, that? And, and, and I think if you take, and if you take, and if you take the context of 215-page uh, standards, they do. The absurdity of what you just said can be shown with changing one word. Change black <laughs> Americans to Jewish, change the circumstances to the Holocaust, and you can't maintain that position. So maintaining that position here is very, very, very disrespectful and dismissive of what the yeah. horror that was American slavery and the following oppression so. of Jim Crow and violence therewith that this country formed the basis of this country, foundational too. 1619 mm -hmm. is 100% right. And remember, we live in a state where that book it's illegal. Mein Kampf isn't illegal. 1619 Project is illegal. Listen, this That's is how absurd we are. 30 seconds, wrap us up. playing the long, long game. It's not just about the students. It's what, it's the narrative that is carried forward mm -hmm. in this country decades Correct. hence. Yeah. And cha by changing that narrative, you dismiss, you diminish, you stand to mm -hmm. diminish. Right this very fraught part of American history.
What a <laughs> beautiful way to put a big, I'm going to say string around this topic. Um, we have a lot more with you coming up at the end of the show, but right now we're going to take a very quick break. And up next after that break, a debate over the diplomats. It involves the laws of Jamaica, a U.S. same-sex marriage, and diplomatic fallout reaching South Florida. A country's diplomats typically work back channels to solve differences before they become public fiascos. This week, the diplomats were the ones in the middle. Jamaica has declined to provide customary diplomatic immunity for an incoming U.S. ambassador's spouse. Same-sex marriage is not legal there. Now the U.S. is declining to renew permission to stay for several of Jamaica's diplomats, including its ambassador and its consul general in Miami. South Florida's Caribbean community is watching very closely and looking to see where their elected leaders here stand. We invited several Miramar commissioners who promote their nationality and Jamaican ties in their campaigns. We received no response from them. Wayne Goulding is right here with us live, an attorney and advocate who has been an advisor to the Jamaican government and also to those in the diaspora. It is good to see you again, Mr. Goulding. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good to be here with you. So we talked earlier in the week and, and you had some really interesting insights. And as we were speaking, this was hitting the airwaves in South Florida. Have, have you heard from any of the diaspora? What are people saying? Well, we've been having, uh, it's been percolating through the diaspora. We've been having folks comment on it, folks that I deal with on a regular basis. And uh, I, I think it's something that is, uh, as I said before, a watershed moment, because it's almost like you have to be a sophist. You, you're caught between the devil and the deep blue sea uh, if you are Jamaican diasporan. And also if you are supportive of this particular administration. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those issues that I think people have to think very carefully about and not just jump to uh, conclusions. And additionally, some of the information that we've been getting is pretty sketchy. For example, uh, we're being told that it's an ambassador, but we, we have not confirmed that yet because currently sitting in Jamaica is Nick Perry, the current U.S. ambassador, who actually was born in Jamaica. So is there uh, a change of foot? So a lot of questions are being brought up other than the direct topic at hand. Yes, and, and to your point, I will say that neither government is affirming or denying or confirming any of this, uh, but for the Jamaican diplomats here, uh, the U.S. State Department has confirmed that they are not renewing their stays, so that, that part is confirmed. Um, and the Jamaican government has confirmed that they will not issue any kind of uh, standard diplomatic immunity to a same-sex spouse. So those two things we know are indeed happening. And then you have, okay, so you have countries' laws in conflict. You have what many will label human rights in conflict. What do you see is the consequence of what has been decades of friendship and allyship and diplo good diplomatic ties between these two countries? Well, it's so funny. Diplomacy has to be quiet, and it has to be done in the background. Which, and which they're the, doing really well. <laughs> <laughs> and, and against the backdrop of what's in the best interest of both countries. 
Uh, but we all have to live with the reality that the great United States of America has uh, leverage over so many other countries in the world because simply because of their position of power economically and otherwise. So when other countries are making decisions diplomatically in how they deal with the U.S., um, I think these are some of the things that are taken into consideration. It might not be said, but there's the talk of the big stick, and that's been around in Jamaica from the 1970s, going back to the Michael Manley government and all the things that we've seen that happened as a result of the conflict uh, politically and, and diplomatically that happened. And to say uh, Jamaica has taken a hard uh, stance on this particular issue, uh, the question begs itself with what will happen beyond just not allowing the diplomats to stay beyond their five-year term, which is perfectly um, within the rights of the United States. You know, as of August 2021, diplomats from all over the world, you know, in their missions in the United States are accredited for maximum five years. One of the interesting things I think the U.S. said this year, that it said that ambassadors charged the affairs and deputy chiefs of missions are exempt from the five-year accreditation policy. And this is part of the information uh, or lack of information that's not adding up because we're hearing that the ambassador from Jamaica, Audrey Marks, to the United States is one of those slated uh, to leave after the five years that she's uh, appointed here or, or is not going to be granted an extension. But additionally, the, the, the community at large is really going to reel from this because we have some great diplomats that have come into uh, the United States from Jamaica and are doing a wonderful job, uh, both on the level of dealing government to government and dealing with the Jamaican community here. So people are looking at it as a great lot for those diplomats and also their families, because you have to remember, you know, um, they travel with their families. And it's back to the other side of the coin now where, you know, the issue is whether Jamaica can be or should be forced uh, to accept um, diplomats coming in, same-sex uh, couples, uh, which is clearly not on their books as far as the law is. Yeah. But let me just tell you one fact. There are 70 other countries with the same position. So this is, a, and Jamaicans by and large that we know and that we've spoken to here frame it as a, as a, a faith-based argument for them. And it is one country's laws. And I think you were talking a little bit about a David and Goliath situation. Uh, part of the video, we were just looking at the Consul General here, Oliver Mayer, who uh, I'm going to guess is one of those diplomats who's very involved in the community here that you were talking about. And in fact, has actually campaigned for some people's some people running for commission in Miramar um, and other places so involved in local government elections and now those elected officials aren't really saying much should they should well, they take well, a, should I, they let their constituents know where they stand I I, I will defer to the, the the term campaigning because uh, they're not allowed to campaign. Uh, appeared in campaign literature is that is that more specific? Well, well, I, I have not seen that myself, but I think the community at large uh, deals with uh, their their diplomatic representative on a much different level than some other countries. They're much more involved, much more in tune. 
Whether or not it's a, a local issue is up to those people who are elected uh, locally for them to speak. And they cannot represent, I think, the position of the Jamaican government one way or the other. They can represent their constituency here locally. And it's not only Jamaicans that they represent when they're elected, so we have to remember that. But the, the, the key issue here, I think, is how can this be resolved? You know, it's something that is not going to go away. And we have to always look at what's in the best interest of the country. And then when you compare across the world, for example, you know, the saying is that the U.S. would never ask a Muslim country to post a same-sex diplomat there. So people are always comparing the size yeah. of the, 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 the dogs and the fight and versus yeah. the bark. We, you know, um, so... I'm going to I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm going to have to um, say goodbye because we're up against a commercial break. But I do want to let you know, I, I hope that you will stay in touch with us because your insights are very valuable as this all unfolds. Wayne Golding, really appreciate your time. Thank you. And we, we just have to give this a thoughtful uh, process in thinking about it. We'll and be very diplomatic about yes, it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Take care. When we come back, we take this international debate with very local ties right back to the roundtable. Stay tuned. going to say we're starting the roundtable again, but we've already started. <laughs> Ed Pizzoli, Stephen Johnson, ace attorneys, Mark Caputo, Nancy Ankrum, ace journalists. And we uh, I want to talk just really quickly about what you just saw, Mark, um, Jamaica and the U.S. David, we Goliath managed to pick and, a fight with Jamaica uh, <laughs> or, or I mean, where, where do you see that? Go that is a layered nuanced conversation mm -hmm. to have. Where do we see that going? I have no idea. I, I, okay, on to the next question. I understand we dislike Jamaica's policy, but I don't think Jamaica just came up with this policy recently. So we, we appointed an ambassador with a spouse who would wind up running afoul of that policy, perhaps to prove a point. Intentional, mm, right. Right. Oh, that's, that's well, and, and, and you have to remember, look, listen, there have been developments in Africa that the country has spoken out about regarding LGBTQI rights. Now the country is, I think, picking this fight on purpose. It's an example of American imperialism. Um, picking this fight on purpose in order to force the, the sovereign nation of Jamaica's hand. I don't like it because I don't think you bully your way into progress. It, are we talking about, though, we're talking about a human rights issue. It is, but it's not in that you have to let people see the light because it's the right thing to do. You can't use the uh, big stick of the United States diplomacy to say so you this, need to change your law. This, this issue has nuance for you then, right? No, this the one, I, wait, 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 yes, because, no, no, because, no, no, because the sovereignty of a black nation, I think, has to be respected. I, I, don't, I don't disagree. I don't, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, let's, the, you know, if that person, if that ambassador had an African-American spouse and we were talking South Africa, yeah. You know, yeah. during apartheid, during apartheid, would we be saying the same thing or would you see it the same way? I see it again as a human rights issue. I don't think that uh, we need to accept um, a law that we don't accept here. Can I ask, let me just ask a question though, and it's a question of the group. What is the purpose of us sending a diplomat to Jamaica? And in my view, part of that is to communicate 
uh, our government's messaging to their government and to be our representative there. The problem is, is that in part of that is the success and failure of that person is directly related to how he's received or how she's received. Well, I don't, and so where you already start with this, it really kind of belies the underlying purpose of sending an ambassador to a foreign country. That's an interesting question. I just, but what we learned, I don't think the reception is an issue. I think they were, the, the couple was received. I think it was just a formality of the credentials, mm -hmm. diplomatic immunity. They were only which partly could received. Right. Because they, they weren't fully received. Yeah. That's yeah. the right. point, That's right? the point, right. They let, let me ask you a, a politics question. So we were talking about how Oliver Mayer, the Consul General here, is has very close ties with the Jamaican community here, who in, especially in a city like Miramar and some of the southeastern neighborhoods mm -hmm. in Broward County and the Caribbean neighborhoods there, they're very closely knit and they see their Consul General, his stay is being cut short, they know this issue. Do those elected leaders have a responsibility to come out and say something, whatever they say? I've often found that when politicians duck and cover, they don't know what to say. Right. Because especially <laughs> when it comes right. to Democrats, the problem you're having here is a cultural division between a... I, I need to phrase this properly and tell it really quickly. Welcome to my <laughs> world, <laughs> friend. So, gay rights aren't as popular in Jamaica and in conservative right. Jamaican circles as they are nope, in more they, liberal democratic progressive circles. Right. Or, or law. Right, and there's the rub. So now you have most democratic politicians, most politicians who are of Jamaican descent happen to be Democrats. And so now they're kind of wedged against a portion of their base. But is it's it a difficult the, situation. Isn't the bigger issue, though, the... United States trying to impose its will on a smaller country? That I think is very problematic and that's what's happening here because things done diplomatically to Ed's point are done specifically and intentionally. They knew what they were doing. They were trying to prove a point and they're yeah. sending a message and when you do that I think of what happened in, in Afghanistan. When you force upon people your own values People tend to push back because now Afghanistan has slid way back into uh, regression, right? You're not going to be able to do this forcefully. You have to do this through persuasion diplomatically. and diplomatically, correct. And this will spur that. They probably needed that. Yeah, it, it should. It should. Send Kamala. She needs something that's, to do. That, that's um, you know, I was <laughs> just... like Ed there. Yeah. That was kind of rough. I like Madam VP. I like her, too. Yeah, well, like her too. It, it could be worse, remember. And it go, it's good to, see, you know, I think it was good to see her coming down here and actually... Was that her planned speech? Because she was... I think she had a, a plan to come down here before the standards were released. I don't know. I know. I'm, just, know. I'm just totally. Yeah, I know. It, I, I, I pivoted, but it was just yeah. nice to hear her all fiery and everything, you know. Um, but I do think that this move on the part of uh, the United States and the appointment of this ambassador with the same-sex uh, spouse, it's it, it's diplomacy. So it should spur more of the same. More back-channel conversation. You know, um, I, I need to uh, end our dinner party without the wine together for today. Mm. Or the I dinner. Just, I just want to... <laughs> brunch. That's right. I just want to say um, I just so value your expertise, your insights, your willingness to come on, to be on the round table, and you know you're coming back as often as I can find reason. So thank you, everybody. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you, Glenna. you, Glenna. We are not done yet. Next, South Florida is bringing the heat, this time literally triple-digit heat, dangerous, damaging, and the reason our next guest has her job. Miami-Dade's chief heat officer is with us live next. Mm.
Weather is news in South Florida, and this week, South Florida's heat made national news. A string of days with the index of 105 is unprecedented. More than that, it is dangerous and raises all kinds of questions for the potential of damage to people, to the environment, to the economy in a long-term new normal. Jane Gilbert is Miami-Dade's chief heat officer, a position many people didn't even know existed, now catapulted right into the headlines. Jane, it is so great to have you on the program. My pleasure. So what, what is happening? Let me, just, let me just lay that out there. What are we going through and why right now? So we're having truly an unprecedented hot summer this year. We've had an average of 100 uh, days with a heat index over uh, at or over 105 of six days in a whole year for the last 14 years. This year we're on like day 23 or 24, and we've had the third ever heat warning in my in South Florida's history today. Uh, the other two were also this year. So this is a local, national, and a global. Oh, I don't know if the word phenomenon is even the right word. Is this a new normal or what, what is happening to, to allow this, yeah. these conditions? So we, we've definitely had a gradual increase in longer and hotter summers here. We, our average minimum temperature has gone up 2.2 degrees Fahrenheit over the last uh, 50 years and we've had 77 more days with a temperature over 90 than we did in 1970. But as we go forward, we're gonna see many more days like we're seeing now with much more extreme temperatures with heat index over 100 or 105. We're gonna be going from that historical six or seven days a year to close to three months a year with heat index over 105 by mid-century. And it's getting hotter not only because of climate change, but also how we develop as cities. So more concrete and asphalt, less trees, less vegetation, more waste heat from our cars and buildings is all resulting in uh, urban heat islands that can be five to 10 degrees hotter mm. in certain neighborhoods than in heavily forested areas. So we in the newsroom have been covering deaths possibly uh, with heat as a, at least a contributing factor. We are looking at the economic factors, the workers who are not working because of the heat, construction workers, agriculture. Uh, it's not harvesting season in Miami-Dade right now, but boy, are they watching and, and seeing you know, and, and fearing what's to come. In your office, what is the reaction to that or what is, or, or the action to that, I guess I should say? Absolutely. So there's, there was a study done by the Arstrak Resilience Center, who's been very a leader in working on extreme heat in cities globally, that looked at that economic impact from worker productivity loss. And in the Miami metropolitan area, annually, it's $10 billion a year. Wow. Now, and it's going to go to $20 billion. So we just had a training last week for employers to build in heat prevention uh, protocols. We're going to be doing rolling out more and more trainings and templates and assistance. The good news is, is that with simple, affordable measures like providing potable cool water, shaded rest breaks, you can actually improve worker performance and reduce those injuries and illnesses on the job and, and improve 
employee retention. Um, the other thing we're looking at, our commission has just introduced legislation, which would be the first uh, protection ordinance in the state of Florida for workers, for those construction and agricultural workers, to require employers to provide those necessary shaded rest breaks with potable cool water. We're getting our own house in order with all our county departments. Workers can be up to 35 times more likely to have a heat-related illness than your average person. The outdoor workers, you mean outdoor, outdoor, workers. outdoor workers? Any workers exposed to heat, so they could yeah. be inside a warehouse that's under cool. Right, right, right. Or, um, trade and logistics, our public safety officers, our firefighters have to, you know, when they go and are responding, they're wearing heavy equipment. That can add another 10 degrees in, in terms of their exposure. Sure. You know, in a in a place like South Florida, where income disparity is, is so stark, do you right. find that it, some of the neighborhoods that are lower income, poverty stricken, are really feel the effects much more than those neighborhoods where people may have many more resources? Absolutely. Uh, we did a heat vulnerability assessment when I first was appointed and found that we looked at the heat related emergency department visits and hospitalizations. And we have zip codes in Miami-Dade County that have more than four times the rate of emergency department visits and hospitalizations related to heat than other zip codes in Miami-Dade County. And the strongest correlating factors are that they are areas with high poverty rates and high land surface temperatures. In other words, those there are those high urban heat islands. The next one is high percentage of outdoor workers. And when you say the heat islands, is that lack of tree cover? Is that asphalt? What kind of get granular? What does that mean? Yeah, that's typically I, tree. Average tree canopy can be the highest indicator of an urban heat island. We have areas with less than 10% tree canopy and other areas with more than 40%. So those tend to be hotter. Certainly areas with a lot of uh, air conditioning running very high, that puts waste heat out. A lot of car and vehicle traffic, that puts waste, waste heat out. And certainly just darker building materials, wow. asphalt, uh, darker roofs, et cetera. Jane Gilbert, such interesting information on something I don't think anyone would have ever thought a chief heat officer would, uh, was a job that would exist, but I know you and your team and your department is so focused on the here and now and right yeah. in the headlines. I hope you'll stay in touch. Thank you. All right, stay tuned. We will be right back. A lot going on here, so to rewatch today's interviews or listen to the This Week in South Florida podcast, all you have to do is scan this QR code with your phone right there on your screen, and it will take you to the This Week in South Florida section of local10.com. And you know we love to hear from you. You can connect so easily on social media. Find, follow, and reach out at Glenna WPLG. That's Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and now on Threads. And we really do love to hear what you have to say about anything you saw on the program today, or really anything in the news. We thank you so much for spending this hour with us. Stay cool, stay dry, have a great Sunday.